And we'll just pray before she starts. Father, thank you. Lord, we, Jesus, we say that you are the king. And as Joe comes to talk, I pray that we would uh, open our hearts to hear what you have to say, that her words would be uh, easy to, to take in and apply to our lives. We praise you for, for who you are and what you're going to be doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, here I am all the way from the front row, quite a, a long journey this morning. Well, great to see you. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to say hi to you after the service. But so glad that you're able to join us this morning. You know, it's the first of a zillion bank holidays, isn't it, in May? And so we weren't sure who was going to be around and who was going to be away. But it's great to have you with us, whether you are a guest or a regular. Now, today we are thinking about the theme about God being king. Seems like an obvious thing, doesn't it, with the coronation next Sunday. And just um, to add to what Laura said, you know, as church family, you did a wonderful job. We did a wonderful job, didn't we, during COVID of connecting with friends and neighbours. And isn't the bank holiday next weekend just a great opportunity to continue that? And we went around and spoke to our neighbours yesterday. We're planning a barbecue next Sunday lunchtime. And I spoke to one chap and said, are you around next Sunday, you know, around around the coronation weekend? He said, no, I'm, I'm at my son's. I said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. And we went on, and I kind of talked, told him what we were going to be doing. And he said at the end, oh, well, if it's a barbecue, yes, I was lying. I'm not actually at my son's, and I would love to come for a barbecue. So whether or not you are celebrating the coronation, it doesn't matter. What a great opportunity to party with our friends and our neighbours and to take one of these books. And the truth about these books is, in faith, I ordered about 101, I think. Um, these really need to go this week. In two weeks' time, it'll be a bit late. You can always read a book about the coronation, but what an ideal time to take them. So there's enough for at least one each. If you want to take five or ten, you would be so welcome. But why not give them away or send them to friends and neighbours who would love to read a little bit about the Bible. And then in the front, there's loads of stuff about, you know, the crown jewels and different things to do with the coronation. So grab one from Linda on the way out. In fact, look, just look behind you. There's a connector at the back. Look, Linda is already waving them. She's ready and raring to go. So go and help yourselves after the service. Plug over. So I was thinking about God being king. And I was thinking about kings and queens. And I thought, why don't we start this morning just with a little bit of a pop quiz? Now, there's no prizes and you're only competing against yourself. But I've got some kind of famous kings and queens here. I'm wondering if you know who they might be. So let's have a look. First question, who is this famous king? Anybody recognize him? You might recognise him from his other side. King Alfred, well known in Winchester. And he was born in um, 848, apparently so. And allegedly the first king of England. There is some dispute about this, but because we live in Winchester, I'm going with the fact that he was. So this is where it all started. So question number two. How many kings and queens of England and Britain have there been? Anybody know? The actual answer is 62. They're not all on here, but quite a few over a period of 1,200 years, which gives an average length of reign, if you do the maths, at just over 19 years each. So then obviously the next question needs to be, who is the longest reigning British monarch? Anybody know? Our wonderful Queen Elizabeth II. She reigned for 70 years, 214 days. And she, so prior to her, it was her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, who'd reigned the longest, 64 years. So 
If one reigned for 70 years, the other reigned for 64, and the average is only 19 years, that means some people didn't do quite so well, did they? So does anybody know the shortest reigning monarch in British history? Anybody know? It's actually this poor lady who is Lady Jane Grey. She became queen at 16 and only survived nine days. So it brings the average right down. Terribly, terribly sad. And then can anybody tell me the oldest British monarch at the start of their reign? It is, in fact, King Charles III, who we are celebrating next weekend. And if you found all of those questions quite difficult, perhaps you can help me with a bit of a culture question. So who is the famous king in the Jungle Book? Anybody know? It's King Louis. Famous song, I want to be like you. So hopefully you've managed to get at least one question right in our little quiz. But before this morning deteriorates too much, I just wanted us to get onto the theme of God as king. You know, as we think about kings and queens, I don't know about you, but we think about the queen who is kind of very dear to so many people. The king maybe feels just quite kind of distant, not too relevant to our everyday lives. He works hard. He is symbolic. He does, you know, a, a job that needs to be done, but he can feel a long way away from us. Maybe you've had some connection with royalty. Maybe you know somebody who um, has been to a garden party. In fact, anyone here been to a garden party? Oh, wow, fantastic. We'll have to ask about that later on. A couple of you, fantastic. Or maybe you know someone who has received a New Year's honour. We've got a friend who was given a, I think it was an MBE. Um, in fact, we do also have a friend called Steve who um, has been invited to the coronation. And so he has spent his working life um, helping people who are exp who've experiencing homelessness. And he Googled, what do you wear to a coronation? And the answer came up, because he didn't know what he should be wearing, the answer came up, a crown and an ermine robe. <laughs> so then he had to re-Google, what do you wear if you are a guest to a coronation? <laughs> but today we are thinking about God as king. And maybe as we think about the kings and queens that we know of, kings and royal families from other countries, or even our own, the thought of God as king feels quite distant, quite separate. And it was never, ever meant to be like that. God as king has relevance for our everyday lives. The name king is a major um, descriptor and um, accolade to our God in the Bible. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, if you have a Bible with you, it will really help you. So if you haven't got a Bible, there are a pile of them just on the pillar behind us. So jump up and get one. You could use the one on your phone, but it might be slightly trickier. It might be easier just to rifle through a paper Bible. So do go and grab one if it's easier, because we are doing a bit of a, a jump through the Bible this morning. And in fact, we're going to be looking at three different things. We're going to be looking at God is King, the biblical narrative. God is king, and we're going to be looking at some specific psalms. That's why the Bible is particularly helpful. And God is king. What is our response? And that's the reason why we wanted to move the service around this morning, because my hope and my prayer is that as we look at the Bible together, God will reveal himself to us in a fresh way as king, and then together we can worship him. And so the band will come back after they've led the kids upstairs, and together we will worship him. 
And I should just say, if you are watching the talk online after the event, you are so welcome too. I'm sorry, I hadn't acknowledged you before, and it is great to have you with us. And why don't we pray together as we start to dig into what the Bible says? So Lord, thank you that you aren't a distant, far-off God, but you reveal yourself to us. You show us who you are. And today, as we look at your words in the Bible, we say, please come and open our eyes and open our hearts in a fresh way. Lord, would you let your word spoken be filled with your power so that we understand your truth and are changed by it. Amen. Amen. So let's kick it off. God is King, the biblical narrative. So if you know much about the Old Testament, if you don't, don't worry, because I'm going to tell you a bit about it. But in the Bible, when God revealed himself to his people, the Jews or the, the Israelite nation, he describes himself, first of all, as God Almighty or God Most High. That's what he called himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And then when Moses came along, he said, I am Yahweh, which means I am. But when Moses brought God's people out of Egypt, he actually sang a song and there was a new description used for God. In the song it says this, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And that's said to be the first place where this word, the Hebrew word is actually melech, you have to excuse my, um, my accent. But that is the word which describes God reigning and exercising the function of a king. In the Old Testament, it's the most common word used, and it describes a chief or a ruler, a king or a lord or a captain. And if you've read much of the Old Testament, you'll know there are loads of kings and queens in here. But the plan always was that God would be the king of his people. That he would be recognized and honored as the one who's in charge. So he chose the Jews. He said, you're my chosen people, my treasured, treasured possession, and he gave them a series of leaders or judges who were going to kind of rule on his behalf. But the thing was that everybody around the Israelites, everyone around the Jewish nation, had their own king that they could see. And so the Israelites came to Samuel, who was their leader, and they said, look, we want a king we can see. We want to be like everybody else. And Samuel was really cross. And he went to God and he said, look, I don't know what to do about this. And God said... Look, you can do everything they say to you. You can give them a king. They're rejecting me, not you. So effectively, the Israelites were saying, look, we don't want God as our king. We want a person that we can follow. And God said, we don't, they don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. So do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see that Samuel does do that. He says, look, if you get a human king, you're going to end up with kings who treat you badly and who exploit you and who make you work really hard. And they said, it doesn't matter, we want one anyway. And actually, Samuel's words were true. That's what happened. God agreed that the Israelites could have a king. And the aim was this king was going to submit to God and work on his behalf with God still ruling and reigning. But actually, as we see from the history 
in the Old Testament, there were some good kings, but there were a whole bunch of kings who it says did evil in the sight of the Lord. They went their own way. They exploited the people. And true to Samuel's words, there, was a time when, there were times when the Jewish nation called out to God and said, please help us, please bring us some relief. Now, one of the really famous kings in the Old Testament is King David. Here's a, an artist's impression of him being anointed by oil, with oil by Samuel. And the thing about the kings is that they were kind of marked out. They, when they were given their job, when they were acknowledged that they were going to be king, they were anointed with oil to show that they had a special role to do. But all of these kings were just people. Just, the kings and the queens were just men and women like you and like me. And that reminds me really of our king, of King Charles. You know, next week in the coronation ceremony, the Archbishop of Canterbury is going to anoint him with oil from, our, I think it's a 900-year-old spoon. I saw a picture of it this week. He's going to be marked as he kind of officially takes on his role as king. I've been thinking about the job he's, been going, to, he's going to be doing. When we think about our queen, she was so loved and respected, wasn't she, all around the world by so many people. So King Charles steps into pretty big shoes. And in the Bible, we mentioned this last week in 1 Timothy, it does say that we should pray for rulers and kings. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 4 says, I urge you to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And I don't know about you, but I am really up for living a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and dignity. Wouldn't it be great if that, those were the marks of our nations? If people went, oh, it'd be really great to be living there, because you can live quietly and peacefully. It's a good place to be. And so I wondered if we might do what the Bible says. Why don't we just stand together for a moment? And why don't we pray for King Charles, pray for Queen Camilla, whether or not you agree with royalty, they've got a job that they're doing. But it would also be a great moment to pray for our government too, wouldn't it? And to pray for our MPs. And also to be praying for the elections which are happening next week. And so why don't we quietly, in our hearts and minds, be praying for these things. If you're not a praying person, just spend a moment just thinking. But we could be praying that each person would be saved and understand the truth. Father, we acknowledge so many crises in our nations and the hugely difficult job that our leaders have. And so today we do pray for King Charles, for Queen Camilla, for those who rule over us and govern us. We pray for wisdom for them. We pray that you'd reveal yourself to them. 
that you would help them to lead us well and justly. And Father, we ask that we would be able to live peacefully and quietly, marked by godliness and dignity. Amen. Oh, thank you. Please do sit down. And as you think about the coronation this week, why don't you just pray a little prayer every time it's mentioned on the news or you see it in the paper or whatever, or you organise your barbecue or whatever it is you're doing for next weekend. So if we think back to the Bible... The Israelites wanted kings. God gave them, gave them people to be kings. But there was always a promise, wasn't there? There's a promise that there's a new king coming. And we remember that. There's a particular passage that we read at Christmas time in Isaiah chapter 9. And it says this. For a child is born to us. This was a promise from 900 years before Jesus was born. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And in fact, if you remember, the kingship of Jesus is a theme throughout his life. So when he was born, the magi or the wise men came to Herod and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? They knew this king was coming. But the promises about this king, about King Jesus, were that he would be a different kind of king, that he would be a humble king, that he would be a servant king. And in fact, when Jesus talked about his, the kingdom that he was bringing in or ushering in, he said, my kingdom doesn't consist of what you see around you. It's not like a geographical place. If it did, my followers would fight so I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But I'm not that kind of king, not the world's kind of king. And instead, he brought in a new kingdom, God's kingdom of righteousness and joy and of peace. And in a few weeks' time, we're starting a new series on the kingdom of God. And so I'm not going to go into that in detail this morning, but it'd be well worth plugging into that because there's plenty about it in the Bible, but also in Matthew, which is this book um, which we talked about earlier on, the Gospel of Matthew. And so the Gospels tell us that Jesus inaugurated or started or brought in this new kingdom. And as we carry on reading in the Bible, we'll see that Jesus the King is coming back, that he will reign with God in heaven. And I love some of the descriptions I've been reading a little bit in Revelation um, this week. And it says that he's on a, a white horse and he's got kind of tattooed almost on his thigh and on his robes. Lord of Lord and King of Kings. That is his name. That is who he is. But it is a different kind of kingdom. And I read this quote this week, which really struck me. The crazy thing is that Jesus is made king on a cross. The cross is his throne. The crucifixion happens to be his coronation. The king we worship is the crucified Christ, a servant king who is exalted after humiliation. What makes no sense to the world proves to be the wisdom of God. And so that's kind of the background, the biblical narrative, setting the scene of God is king. And don't need to worry, because my next two points are not as full or as detailed as that. But what I wanted us to do next was to look at some of the descriptions of God as king in the Psalms. And this is where it'd be great to pull up your Bibles. 
So Psalms 92 to 100 are the Psalms are the, are the songbook of the Bible. And these particular Psalms are sometimes described as songs to the great king. And I don't know about you, but sometimes because if I think about God being king, he feels kind of, it can make him feel quite distant. I thought we could use some of the language or some of the descriptions in the Psalms to help us imagine him, to ask God to kind of sanctify our imaginations. So as we read what the Bible says, it can help our hearts understand more of who he is and what he looks like. And so we're just going to do a little whiz through there. And then as we sing songs to God our King at the end of the service, perhaps some of these images or these pictures will help us to worship him. So we're starting in Psalm 92, 93. It says, the Lord is King. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. And in fact, as we whiz through these verses, you might want to look at them in the Bible, but you might just want to close your eyes and try and imagine what does that look like? What does it look like for God to be robed or surrounded or clothed in majesty? It goes on to say, your throne, O Lord, has stood from time immemorial. You yourself are from the everlasting past. And I thought, is that like a rude way of saying you're really old? But he is really old. And there is a weightiness about him. He was there before the creation of the world. Everything that we know and we see as being kind of old and going back for centuries is just nothing in the context of him and his existence. In Psalm 95, there's a beautiful picture that he holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. You know, I was Googling, trying to find some images that, could, that could, we could show, and, and none of the ones that I could find would really demonstrate his magnitude and his beauty. Maybe if you're an artist, this is a challenge to you to say, how can you illustrate some of the beauty and the majesty of our God? But just imagine the mightiest mountain you've ever seen. Maybe you've walked up one on holiday, or maybe you've seen one, and he holds in his hands the mightiest mountains. What do the depths of the earth look like? They go down and down and down, and yet he holds in his hands the depths of the earth. I think that's probably what you call a safe pair of hands, isn't it? Think about how wonderful he is, how big he is, how majestic he is. Then you might want to look into Psalm 96, verse 6. It says, honour and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. And in Psalm 97, verse 2, dark clouds surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire spreads ahead of him and burns up all his foes. His lightning flashes out all across the world. And then in Psalm 99, verse 1, it says, The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. We probably would if we saw him in the way that he's been described. He sits on the throne between the cherubim. And you know, I don't know about you, but I was thinking about cherubim. I imagine those little cute bare-bottomed angel things with wings. But if you look and see who the cherubim are, they are formidable creatures. They are part human, they're part animal, they're terrifying, and they protect the holy space where heaven meets earth. And that's where he sits. And so that's some of the descriptions that people have tried in the Psalms to give to God the King. And then let's have a quick look at the characteristics of his reign. So what is it like when God the king comes and rules and reigns? 
Well, in Psalm 92, it talks about his unfailing love. It's love that never ends. In verse 2, it talks about his faithfulness. In verse 5, it says, Lord, what great works you do and how deep are your thoughts? In the Amplified Version, it says, your thoughts are very deep beyond man's understanding. And you know, if you're in a tricky place at the moment, if you're trying to live God's way and you don't know what's going on, if you don't understand what's happening, then isn't that a comfort and a reassurance that his ways and his thoughts are beyond ours, that it's possible to be in a really hard place and still be in the will of God because he is doing something beyond what we know and what we understand. In verse 15, it says, the Lord is just, he is my rock. There is no evil in him. He's rock solid, he's stable, he's reliable. If you want to know who to trust today, he's the one. In Psalm 93, verse 5, it says, Your reign, O Lord, is holy forever and ever. And then Psalm 94 goes on and describes a load of trouble that's happening in the world. But in verse 18, we're shown that God is not a distant king. He is not far off, but he's personally involved with us. In verse 18, I cried out, I am slipping, but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. And so is that where you are today? Do you feel like you're slipping? Because God's unfailing love is here to support you. If you feel that you're full of doubt, you just don't know where to turn, you don't quite know what to believe, well, actually, he can come and comfort and renew and give you hope and cheer in that place. And then Psalm 94 goes on in verse 22 to say, the Lord is my fortress, my God is the mighty rock where I hide. And so God as king is not far off, is not distant, is not irrelevant. He is close. He is with us. He is for us. He holds on to us. He never leaves us. He is just. He is good. And he loves us. That is who we worship. So we've looked at the biblical narrative, God as king. We've looked at some of the Psalms that describe him. And so the next question is, well, then how do we respond? And I think there are a couple of different things we can do. The first is that today, maybe you feel challenged, encouraged to recognize God as king. Perhaps for the first time, perhaps you've never really seen what the Bible has to say. Perhaps you've never really understood the context of it. Perhaps you've thought about Jesus as a friend, but you've never seen God as king. And so maybe today you want to acknowledge him. You want to say, God, I recognize that you are king. And as king, I choose to put you first. Now, it might be that you're somebody who would say that you follow God, that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you have been for a long time or maybe for a little time. But once again, as you read what's in the Bible, what it says about him, you come to a place of going, actually, my priorities have got a bit out of skew. (laughs) Yes, Jesus, I follow you. I try and walk with you. But I've lost sight of the fact that you are king and what that means. I was really struck a, a number of years ago. I think I've told you about something that Jenny said to me. No, she said, I determined when I first became a Christian that my response to him would always be yes. Because there's that phrase, isn't there? You know, 
If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. We can't say to God, yeah, you're the king, but. And this week I was really challenged about two things that, I've, that the Lord has asked me to do. They're quite small things. One of them is just a bit awkward and time-consuming, and the other one I'm slightly nervous of doing. And so I've kind of thought, well, yeah, okay, I can focus on these things over here. Yes, Lord, but. But if he really is king of my life, then there's no but. And I wonder sometimes, certainly for me, maybe for some of you, we can get complacent in our following of Jesus. We can add a yes, but. When he's saying, if I'm king, then I'm king over your time and your diary. I'm king over your finances. I'm king over your relationships. I'm king over your job. I'm king over your Facebook account or your digital media. I'm king over your speech. I'm king over, you fill the gap. And as king, his requests are not suggestions. If King Charles were to call me up and say, Joe, I need you to do this and do that, then I would probably respond and do it. How much more when King Jesus says, Joe, I need you to do this or that, do I need to do it? And so a really practical way for us to respond is to give our hearts to him in worship. Because the amazing and wonderful thing about him is that he is not a king who judges us and comes with a big stick. He's a king who invites us close and gives us every opportunity to respond. Well, I say every opportunity. He gives us opportunities to respond. But it does say in the Psalms that today, if you hear him, don't harden your heart. Because that's what the Israelites did. They turned their hearts off against him. It was awkward what was asked to be done of them. They didn't want to trust him. They got fed up with following him. And it didn't go well for the nation. And so today, if he's nudging us, if he's inviting us, then let's not harden our hearts. Psalm 95 says this, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. And it goes on to say, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you'd listen to his voice today. Don't harden your hearts. And so we are going to have a time of worship. Graham, why don't you and the guys come and join us? And songs are a vehicle, just a, a way of us connecting with God. You know, week on week, we have wonderful, faithful worshippers who lead us. But the thing is that we are not the leaders and the audience. We are all the worshippers.
The only audience is God the King. He's the one that we come to, that we can choose to give our hearts to. Worship isn't a spectator sport, and it's not about what we can get out of it. It's about him. And that psalm just describes some different ways that we can respond in worship. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that using my body in worship is a really helpful way to express something. The Bible talks about us lifting holy hands to God. And sometimes I can't help. (laughs) I feel so excited. I feel like I'm going to take off and I just kind of want to give my worship and praise to God. Sometimes I find that what's going on in my heart is a surrender thing and I want to kneel down. Sometimes I get excited about who he is and I just want to shout out or to sing loud. There are other times when I know I need to surrender and I have to choose to kneel down. It's not a response of, oh yes, this is what I feel like, but it's a way of me saying, God, I recognize that you are king and my body is going to remind my heart that that is the case. And so now, as the band leaders in worship, I'll invite you to stand if you're able to. And today, as we worship, I just encourage you, maybe you've not done this before and this feels awkward. I'm not here to make anyone feel awkward. But if you want to use your body in a way that expresses your worship and it doesn't distract or disrupt anybody else, then please do that. If you want to kneel down, if you want to lift your hands... Maybe as we sing, you want to sing loud or shout out. And there is permission because we come today to worship.